I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Story Show. And today on Storymakers, what's going on? Well, we're going to look at some tweets from Mira Jacob and um, an excerpt from a review uh, by Hilton Owls of Susan Laurie Parks' new play. Mm-hmm. And uh, to look at the question of complexity. When is it in service to story slash overthrowing the white supremacist patriarchy and when is it really too complicated i don't think i even understood the sentence well yeah it's it's i I guess what i want to do is there's this really interesting thing coming up in my own work and from these brilliant thinkers and i want to read the tweets 16 16 tweets from mira jacob and i think that's the title right and uh and a paragraph out of this review and then i think it'll all become clear but first what are you working on? Well, you know, since I'm actively putting the film out for uh, collecting rejections, <sighs> I also realize, you know, you know this and then you're like, you don't know it. But one of the things that's really become clear is that when you submit to something, they're not just looking for the best new film. They're looking for the best new film that can also help them extend their audience, right? And so if you're someone who's coming to them with little or no information about yourself, little or no supports, like an electronic uh, publicity kit or any of that stuff, you're really not putting yourself in a situation where you're presenting the best that you can for your project. And I think that's probably true of all kinds of things, right? At this point, people can look at your Facebook or your Twitter or your Instagram and say, oh, you've got X number of followers or you're having these kinds of conversations and they can find that out pretty quickly. So I think uh, what's happening for me is that I'm really needing to get all of those sort of external facing ducks in a row. So those are my I will say, And I will say that you genuinely love talking to people and interacting and all of that. So I think that's really wonderful. I worry sometimes about sort of the 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 demands of social media becoming the creative channel. Right. But at this point, like the website has a timer that's timed out. Um, I don't <laughs> have a way. Zero. Of, yes. I don't have a way of collecting uh, emails, emails yeah. for people I mean, who want to be. I totally I agree with you as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I think it's sort of the thing I learned about approaching agents and all that. It's like you have to you have to come at the top of your game and offer everything you're imagining they are going to offer you. Right. If you're if you're asking someone to go out with your work or to show your work in a a film festival or to pay for your work or any of those things, you know, you wouldn't want them to kind of maybe not have booked a theater and not have have put you in the program and not have told anybody they're having a film festival, right? So, I mean, yes, I totally agree that we have to do this. And I guess, and maybe this is part of my adventure this year is is how to hold and create space for that and may, maybe even make it part of the conversation because I think that's something you've talked about, mm-hmm. you know, the building the audience being part of your creative work. Right. And I'm not even saying like, go out and get your first thousand followers. What I'm saying is my website's not up today. I don't have an easy way for, if we do get selected, I don't have any like great shots from my, I mean, I have all of that stuff, but I haven't organized it. I haven't put it together in a way that would make it useful and accessible 
even if what they are wanting to do is publicize it, right? But what I've, you do have is a podcast where you're telling them all of this, <laughs> where you're confessing your failings. Well, that's what, that's what we're yeah, about here. Right? Exactly. That's, that's our thing. So that's what I'm working on, is really putting together sort of a comprehensive uh, list of how I want to support the film in public spaces and how to get the word out in a way that supports it. Like, you know, if it got into a local program, which would be phenomenal, but if it got into a local program, I want to support that festival right. by bringing people with me and helping them not just see my film, but all the other films that are in that festival that make it unique. So. Awesome. I love it. Okay. And what are you working on? I am revising. I hope really? people are getting bored of hearing that. But um, anyway, and as you know, Angie, but the rest of you don't know, um, I did. I took a big paper this morning mm-hmm. in honor of my friend Dorothy Hurst. Oh, I thought it was going to be Big Paper Day. In honor of National Big Paper Day. National Big In honor of Dorothy Hurst, who does lots of big paper and even has figured out, you know, there's sort of some something, some sidecar to Scrivener that does, you know, does it on the computer where you can draw a graph, make mind maps Scapple. and stuff. Yeah, that's it. Look at you knowing everything. Scapple. Uh, not our sponsor. But anyway... Uh, Dorothy Hurst, not our sponsor. I know. But this podcast is not brought to you by <laughs> Dorothy Hurst and Scapple. But anyway, I got a big paper and I mapped out the spine of my novel. Novel, and it has you know a couple of vertebrae that are maybe missing. You, you got some slip maybe, discs, maybe an extra you, one, right? You know, a couple slip discs. <laughs> but I really removed a lot, so like it is, it was a giraffe, and, and now it's like a penguin. Oh. <laughs> I'm just picturing like a little giraffe head and a super saggy skin just oh. kind of hanging off its Which shoulders. Which could be good if you're in the Antarctic or wherever penguins are. Yeah, these, this metaphor isn't working all right, at it's all. It's melting like yeah. our giraffe. Okay, moving on. Uh, so, shall I? So, that's me. So, I introduce our topic? Yes. Okay. So, first of all, um, I was at AWP mm-hmm. last week, and um, so was Mira Jacob. And for those who don't know, what is AWP? AWP. Um, is the Association of Writers and Writing Programs. <laughs> you didn't really expect that. It's a little bit of an outsized title for its acronym. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, anyway, um, and, uh, and, and so um, Mira Jacob was there. She has just come out with her second book, which is a memoir called Good Talk, and it's a graphic memoir. And she was on a panel with... Debbie Lascar of episode 89 of Storymaker Show and Jean Kwok, who um, I went to grad school with and whose third novel is coming out. Someone's fancy. Someone's fancy. Well, I'm hoping that she'll be on a podcast in the future. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, so there was a panel with uh, them and also, I should say, Mitchell S. Jackson and Irina Rain. And um, so this is, so then Mira posted this tweet thing and actually Maureen my student Maureen fan I'm just name dropping I know you're just so fancy right now uh forwarded it to me in an email and so I looked at it that next day or whatever and I got really excited about it and I will just tell this part of the story first so I started telling everybody like oh my god this is so amazing you have to read this like you have to read this and so I was at my table and Debbie and Lucy were signing books and someone was at the table and they sort of introduced me but I wasn't really focused and I didn't catch her name and then I was I was like looking at something 
And then they started talking about Mira Jacob and like pulled her, like her, someone had her book in hand. And I looked up and so I said to the woman who was at our table, like, oh, you know, you, sh- you have to read her Twitter thread at this from this morning. It's so brilliant. And she's like, whose Twitter thread? And I was like, Mira Jacob. And she said, I'm Mira Jacob. And it was so embarrassing. And, you know, I decided that she was looking at me like I was incredibly stupid. So later I tweeted about it. And then she said that was like her favorite thing to happen all weekend. So then I felt Well, that also talks about the fame of being an author, right? (laughs) Like, you have to read this brilliant. I was like, at least I was telling her she was brilliant, right? Right. But anyway, that's the embarrassing story. But here's the brilliant thread. So I'm going to read it to you. It's got 16 tweets. Okay. not that long. Okay, 16 tweets. Because you haven't read it yet. No. All right. So she says, um, and there's actually probably a a couple extra tweets. But anyway, I had so many WOC writers. That's women of color for for our our listening audience. Somebody posted a review asking us to be more explanatory. So I'm doing that. Yeah. Right. I had so many WOC writers come up to me in tears after this panel, and I know there are so many more out there who cannot possibly afford or take time away for a conference like this, so I just want to recap a few things. One, when we talk about race in publishing, we talk about today, and yesterday is always used to contextualize how much better it is today. Two, but what we don't talk about is the actual toll of yesterday. I was writing for 20 years before my first novel was published, 20. Three, this was not because I was 20 years behind my white peers. Four, it was, I was told, because my work was too Indian and Mm. not Indian enough. Mm -hmm. Because America had, quote, already had its Indian lit moment, too bad, end quote. It was because my characters weren't relatable and because we've already seen the immigrant story. Six, I also got really bad advice from other Indian writers at the time. Don't write about aunties, they told me. Don't be scared to write about white people instead, they said, like that was what the fear was really about. Seven, as a result, I spent my early career entirely convinced that my interiority was simultaneously not worth exploring, overexposed, and way too cliche. My work made less and less sense to me. The rejections, no matter how I changed it, were steady. Eight, After 9-11, I started writing the novel that would become The Sleepwalker's Guide to Dancing. That's her first. I wrote it from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. while also accruing rejected short stories. I had no reason to believe anyone would ever publish it. I wrote for 10 years. Mm. 8.5. Asterisks. Not including the three years I stuck it in a drawer because my dad died and my head stopped working. Mm. 9. When we finally put that novel out, it sold at auction. That meant I was in the extremely rare position of getting to interview the possible editors who might take it on. I will never forget what one editor said to me. 10. Quote, It's too much. You've got an immigrant story, a political story, a love story, a ghost story, a family tragedy. We have to cut it down to the one that matters most. Which matters most? The immigrant story, obviously. 11. I went with another editor. I had that great luck, but I cried that night thinking of all the writers who had come before who did not have that choice, who had to cut all their complexity to even be published, who never had wholeness considered as a viable option. 12. This is the real cost of the past. This is what we lost. 13. Maybe you too were lost in that moment. I see it so often at these conferences. 
WOC laden with stories that have been bursting from them for years but haven't yet published. And yes, I'm talking specifically to women of color because the, those are my people. Yesterday I told them, 14, keep going. You are right that you did not get the same opportunities as your white peers, but your work is as urgent and vital and necessary as it ever was, and it always was. 15. This is not an industry of guaranteed outcomes. Work put in does not translate into a claim nor profit. But, but, you are the only one who can imagine your work into being. You are the only one who knows what we have missed. Your voice is needed out here. 16. And editors, take note. If you are so bent on diversity, take an extra hard look for all those voices you missed in your great learning curve of whose story is worth publishing. There is enormous talent all around you, and it doesn't always come in a 20-something body. Okay, that's all I got right now before coffee. Before <laughs> coffee! Please excuse typos and keep fucking going. Love to you and your dreams today. Shout out to young Mira, 1997, new to the city and not knowing shit about any of this. And then she has this excerpt from her book. So I just will direct everybody to Mira Jacob for much more brilliance in her book and all of that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm not a woman of color, but I was so tremendously moved by that from my own areas of marginalization and over complexity mm -hmm. and um and my own work and we'll get to my question which you know has a craft element but let me just read you one more paragraph mm. from uh this is from the april 1st 2019 new yorker it's a review of um susan laurie parks's white noise a new play and it's by help the review is by hilton Nows. and in the middle of it he says the playwrights we trust through their professional and artistic highs and lows never stop examining their deepest thoughts and feelings mercilessly and with humor too, so that we can view our own internal worlds with something like understanding and love. But sometimes a writer gives up on that kind of exchange, particularly after a great success, which Top Dog Underdog 2001, Parks' first piece to be produced on Broadway, was. The play was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Success, like money, wants more of itself. And in work after work since Top Dog Underdog, Parks has seemed to be torn between her voice, what she has to say and needs to say, and what commercial success demands, stories with fewer complications and more men. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So that idea of mm -hmm. complexity, right? That's what, and, and I guess what I, my craft question about it is, I mean, there's, so there's the political terrain and then there's, you know, when we approach writing something and I as, as we can tell and I'll just shut up in a little bit and you can monologue back at me but is like there's that's what everybody likes in a podcast <laughs> well I just know that I've been talking a lot but there's just there's so I I am I tend to be very complex in my thinking and as well as my identity and my intersectionality and um so there is a craft element to something being streamlined or simplified that is not about I remember Jill Gomez saying like people edit publishers saying to her she can't be a black and a lesbian and a vampire that's too many things right so like no that's not what we're talking about right so what is the craft element of streamlining and simplification versus the like politically oppressive element well I think that one I'm just being introduced to all of this and I don't I'm not like the fast processor plus so, I'm reading it 
aloud to you. Right? And you're reading and it. I mean, it's like all the things that don't work so well for me. Um, but that said, I, I think two things. One, I do think that almost any excuse will be used to maintain systems of oppression. Right. So I think it could also, you know, if you if you had a less complex story, you would it would be too simple. (laughs) Right. So I do think that exists. And I think with complexity, there's a difference between complicated and complex. And I've just been thinking about this a lot because I think complicated is when it's uncomfortable and you can't understand it. Complex is when you take ideas and rub them against each other in a way that opens up new possibilities. So I think sometimes when people say things are overcomplicated, they may not actually be able to access. And it could be for a number of reasons. It could be because they don't have a cultural history that reflects what's actually happening in these works, right? Or, um, you know, when you... You know, we talk again, like as a person who is queer and female, like there's ways in which I have understandings of certain things because of, you know, growing up. Because what it meant to be queer at the time that we were growing up, for most of us meant a certain separation from our families of origin, even if they were kind of, even if they weren't kicking us out, right? So there's definitely like a whole... um cultural feeling around a lot of what it means to be queer Mm -hmm. if you're ever you know and again that's even impacted by generation right yes so i just think that it's on the craft level i think it's about what's accessible right so um there's always going to be taste, right? And I, and I think she alludes to a lot of this, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that's in the market that you can't control. Mm-hmm. You can't control like someone's taste. Like, oh, this is good, but it's not the book I want to publish. Right. That has nothing to do with anything. That could also totally be the way they cover any number Without of biases. Without knowing it. Without Absolutely. even knowing it, right? Absolutely. By your bias and your taste, it takes a very long time to tease those apart if, if it's even possible. Well, and if you have the interest right, in doing Which that. Most people maybe don't. So I think there's definitely... So I, I guess the question of complexity for, for craft, I think, just for me, and again, this is about how my, my brain works, right? I like really weird things. And it's it's been a thing where... Um, what do you mean by weird things? Well, like one of my favorite books thing. is The Hearing Trumpet, right? And it's, you know, Carrington. yeah, Lenore Carrington. And it's, you know, an old woman in Mexico with a beard living in a, you know, I mean, it's just, it is. And then suddenly it breaks into this like nun story from like the 17th century in the middle of it, right? So it, it, it isn't the traditional sort of linear thing. And even though all of these what do you call it, like 
trappings, all the trappings of being complicated sit on that narrative. It's not that complicated. I can follow, you know, there was a lot of conversation in our, I read it during grad school and there was a lot of conversation about what actually happened. And some people were like, she died at this point and this is all of her post-death stuff. And, um, you know, and it's a surrealist book. And so what is she talking about? So for me, even though I like those weird things, there's a way for me to have an end to them. Do you know what I mean? That is, uh, I knew who the character was. I, you know, I was really attracted to this character because she referenced her beard and I just loved that, right? And so I was able then to kind of follow it through. But I think um, I've seen things that are complicated without being complex. And so I, that's why I kind of use those two words differently because I think complicated can be, I think it on a, probably has a connotation of discomfort. And so, which is interesting because when a reader says this is complicated, you know, there's, there has to be some assessment of, is it complicated for them? Mm -hmm. Because they're having to stretch themselves in ways they're not used to. And one of the things that happens anywhere that you're sort of outside the mainstream is you learn, you know how to read it, right? That you know mm -hmm. how to, I mean, my, you know, my favorite story was when I was working selling uh, about this. My favorite story about this is when I was working selling you know makeup yeah facial care products and things and there was this i'm one. sorry it was natural face products yes. not makeup, not makeup. <laughs> very was, different and there was one that was called like something about palm it was not called stigmata but you know it's mm -hmm. it some palm thing and it anyway she was like the woman was explaining it to my friend rachel and me and she was she said um well, because of Jesus. And then she looks at us because we just talked about needing time off over Passover. And she says, you do know who Jesus was, right? Uh, right? It's like, no, Jesus? Wait. You know, like it just, mm -hmm. it was that moment of like, if you're in the mainstream, it's so easy to just not even know what it's like mm -hmm. to be anywhere outside that. Right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. of course, like, if you're outside it, you of still know who Jesus is right you still know right. what it right right so, anyway so yeah so so when so when someone I guess yeah so I mean I guess part of it for me is when somebody's saying to me this is, seems really complicated and I know that on the one hand yes like I tend to overcomplicate, and on the other hand my own positionality is super complicated and again I'm going to go to complex because I think complex is not just how do you freight it with that? It? How do you know when in the work, when you go in and, and streamline and when you say, you know, F you. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to say. Yes. Well, I think honestly, it's a definitely like case by case. Like, I don't know how you would do that just generically. <laughs> um it's part of the reason we often talk about at the beginning of our book in a year class, we have people write letters to themselves about what's really important to them about the work they're doing. Right. And so that letter can hold some of the complicated thoughts you have, but it also can help you clarify for your reader those 
contradictions, those juxtapositions that sometimes can feel like being complicated but are in fact complex. I hope this has been helpful <laughs> to our listeners. I don't know if it has. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, that tweet is exciting. And I think that, honestly, I have to spend some more time thinking about it. I think one of the things that is true, and I actually advocate this for anybody listening, find a picture of the person you are writing to. Because that person is waiting. And what I love about this tweet is that it's true. That there are people who need to hear the voices that are out in the world. And they may not even be 100% like who you think is waiting for it. But if you are a person who has traditionally prioritized other people over yourself around getting your personal message out, put up a picture. And sometimes I think about putting up a picture of myself when I was young. To think that you could even have a world where someone was thinking about you in that way. Powerful. If you are a person who can't do that, take five minutes and go through a magazine, go through a couple of magazines. Think about the person. And you know we automatically tend to think, oh, it should be a young person or whatever. I don't think so at all. It may be that you know as you look at your own experience, there might be places in your own life, there might be people in your own life who are generation before you or after you, like you, you don't really know, but connect with yourself. What does that person look like? Tape that person's face up somewhere in your workspace. And every time you sit down and you start thinking, everything I have to do is stupid or it doesn't matter, look at that person. And you know, the next sen sentence you should write is, I'm not giving you this story because. I'm not giving you. I'm not giving you this story because. And if you don't want to tell that person, yeah, no, I'm giving up on you, then you write the next sentence of your story. Oh, I love it. <laughs> steal this. <laughs> okay. Amateur poets borrow. Professional, Professional poets, poets steal. steal. What would you like to take and make your own from your readings and wanderings this week? Well, I've been reading a lot of about time blocking and stuff like that. And so I'm, I'm working, trying to just kind of suss out this particular um, software. The thing I keep looking for, because again, of the way my brain works, like it's easy enough to say like, oh, from on Mondays from eight to 10, I'm going to do this kind of work. But then what ends up happening is unless I have an alarm that goes off at 9.45 saying at 10 o'clock, you you're shifting. And if you look at that alarm. Or it hits you, me in the head, <laughs> causes some kind of pain. But if I don't have that, I just cruise on past those windows. So I'm trying to actually find a technological way. And you know, I do have a, a watch that will give me haptic alerts. So I'm trying to figure out how can I set it up so that you know, my guess is I probably need three and I should probably go to like 10, 15. So at 9.45, it's like half an hour, 10 o'clock. It's like 15 minutes. Okay. You know, something that gives me multiple reminders, just again, because I get so, um, hyper-focused. So for me, I'm trying, that's what I'm doing right now is trying to look at time blocking and alarms for dealing with hyper-focus. I love it. Um, 
I just finished reading The Leavers by Lisa Ko. This will be my last name dropping of the episode. I had dinner with her at AWP. And, really? And, and a bunch of other um, fabulous people. And, um, oh my gosh. So I just, I was like up in the night. This is, you know, I was up in the night reading this book a lot. And um, it is very... You know, I'm looking at emotion, right? I'm mm. looking at like really committing to that layer of emotion. And I feel like this is a book that follows these these characters very deeply. And it's a lot. I mean, they actually have, they have these, they cross literal worlds, you mm-hmm. know. They, so there's a lot of physical travel and, you know, immigration and all of those things. But, but they also are on these intense emotional journeys and it's so engaging and it kind of reminds me um not in terms of like sophistication or whatever but just in terms of like the books i loved as a teenager right mm-hmm. where you're just you are just your heart is like following that person in that journey and you just want to know like what they're going to think and what they're going to feel and what they're going to do and how they're going to learn and all of that like it, it had that for me so it was a really lovely kind of role model and reminder of um, you know, like, yes, twists and turns and reveals. And there were some, for sure. There were, de- and there were definitely huge plot questions. I mean, it's a, it's got a great plot structure. But the the ride is following the characters and following their, you know, their emotional journey that is the consequence of all these machinations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, that. So, this week, we are going to do a raffle. Because we still need to close the loop on our sign-off. So tonight, or tonight, today, our sign-off is actually storymakersshow.com forward slash raffle. And there you'll find a form to enter your email and the tagline. And the winner will get a half hour one-on-one with me to help with their writing in whatever way I can help. Is that going to be broadcast live? (laughs) No. No. It's a coaching session. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. I highly, highly recommend a coaching session with Angie Powers. And um, the other thing the winner will get is that we will use your tagline. (laughs) Woohoo! You will be named. So, Um, yes. Until next week, 